Sometimes I'd just sleep. Sometimes I'd kind of go past my sister's room, and sometimes I'd be sneaky. My mom or my dad barely sees me. This is Behaviorally Speaking, a podcast featuring board-certified behavior analysts Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi. On this episode, Angela and Kristen talk about two topics many parents face, struggles with childhood sleep and eating. Whether you need strategies for what to do when your child won't go to bed, or tips for getting them to try new foods, they have plenty of ideas to share. Behaviorally Speaking is brought to you by Rethink Benefits, an employer-provided resource to support parents and caregivers of children with special needs. Learn more at RethinkBenefits.com. And now, here are your hosts, Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi. Hello and welcome everybody to our fifth episode of Behaviorally Speaking. I'm one of your hosts, Angela Nelson, board certified behavior analyst and mother of two. And I'm Kristen Bondi, also a board certified behavior analyst and mother of two. Hey Angie, how you doing? I'm doing okay. It's our it's our <laughs> technically our last week of school um, during this COVID nineteen coronavirus uh, be mm-hmm. at home during school time. So it feels a little different. It feels a little uh, uh, anticlimactic, I guess. So tomorrow is right. technically my uh, older daughter's last day of school. So we're gonna do a little parade, which is fun. Oh, but fun! Yeah. So I'm just staring into now summer, where it's gonna look the same for several more months. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, what about yeah. you guys? How have you guys been? So we're good. We're hanging in there. We've, uh, as you know, have two little ones home with us during this time. Um, and it's been really tough keeping them busy, but I think we've found some really creative ways to, <laughs> to keep them entertained. So I've actually learned a lot over the last two months about two-year-olds and four-year-olds. <laughs> I know. I yeah. Gosh. Cycling through I that know. list of activities multiple times mm-hmm. now, probably. <laughs> yes, exactly. I definitely have. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, hi, everyone, and, and welcome. And uh, some of you, I guess, might be expecting, uh, we did mention last time that we would be doing an episode on making and maintaining friends, but as we, as you can imagine, it might not be that relevant right now. So we decided we were going to shift gears a bit, and we're going to talk about two also really important topics for families. So if you have kids, and I I feel like most of our listeners probably do have children, uh, these two topics are going to be really important to you. So sleeping and eating. So that's what we're going to be discussing today. So when Angie and I were prepping for this episode, we were thinking, okay, what are some things with in relation to sleeping and eating? What are some things that we've heard from parents that might be concerned or concerns? Also, what are some things that we've had some difficulty with as parents? And so we settled on a few things for, uh, for a few categories, I should call them. And so for sleeping, we're going to be talking about what if your child is not going to bed or refusing to go to bed? What if they're waking up in the middle of the night many, many times, uh, or they're waking up too early? We'll talk a little bit about that. And then for eating, we're going to talk about what if your child has, uh, there's lack of variety there. They'll only eat one or two foods. Maybe your child has some sensory concerns related to that. Or what if they uh, just don't want to stay at the table and you're having a difficult time keeping them at the table for uh, mealtime? 
Oh yeah. I think that covers a good, a good chunk of them based Mm -hmm, on definitely the parents that we talk with and things that have happened in our own home. So yeah, these are going to be good ones. Of course, we got to do a little disclaimer for this particular topic. Um, Definitely check with your pediatrician before you start implementing anything formally, especially when it comes to feeding issues. If your child is having some more severe feeding issues, you want to rule out any kind of more organic or medical issues. And then also it's always good to just check into with your doctor or or reputable sources like uh, the Academy of Pediatrics talking about number of recommended hours of sleep during a 24-hour period. If your child's still taking naps, you want to consider that as well. So those are things you just want to consider. I'll also mention too, another personal disclaimer for Kristen and I, if you hear any little people in the background, it's because we still are technically in that stay-at-home order right now. Or a cat, in case you all just heard my cat meowing. <laughs> hey, this is real life. cat here too. <laughs> real life here with real moms mm-hmm. in a real house with real kids <laughs> and real pets. So, um, so we apologize, but Moving on. Okay. So let's, uh, I guess you want to do sleep first. Should we, should we jump into sleep? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's jump into sleep. Okay. So let's do sleep. So as Kristen mentioned, we broke this up into three different categories and we also broke up feeding and or eating into three different categories too. So let's talk a little bit first about not going to bed when asked. This is a big one. It's happened in mm-hmm. both Kristen and my home and probably oh, yes. a lot of people's homes out there listening as well. So what does this look like? Right. There's this takes many different forms. This behavior can be um, observed in different uh, different ways. So we have heard the I need water. Uh, I need to tuck all my animals in bed. Um one of my kids' favorites used to be, well, you know, I don't ever play with this stuffed animal, but right now that's the one that I need, right? And so it's tucked away <laughs> in a small little crevice somewhere in your house, um, asking for more shows, more TV. Um, and one lately that's been happening in my house a lot is my kids are not obviously going to school at the moment because of the pandemic. So um, they're at home, they're they're doing stuff at home and they're they're having a good time, but they are they're not as tired as they usually are when you go out and Mm -hmm. they do the gymnastics class and they're doing their chorus classes at school and just kind of there's all that extra stimuli when you're going out and about and loud playgrounds and things like that so they're not as tired and we've had to kind of take that in consideration so those are all some things that can impact not going to bed when it's time to go to bed so Mm -hmm. what do we do about these things so Kristen and i had brainstormed. There's a lot of research just over the years, a lot of, uh, you know, strategies that have been given by sleep experts and just various educators and a lot of discussion and and research in our field too. And and then kind of just the day-to-day discussions with parents that Kristen and I have been consulting with for, for many years. And we've kind of consolidated some of the most efficacious ones and most common ones. So here's uh, here's a kind of a, a list of different things that we can look at. So number one, we've got make sure you have a set routine. So of course, we want to adjust that routine. If your kids aren't sleeping, that's okay. Um, there might be some nap changes here and there. We know for the younger kids, that definitely impacts mm-hmm. nighttime sleep as well. Um, and uh, maybe you haven't had as much energetic activity that day, right? So those are all things that are going to impact your your uh, timing. But 
you should try if, if you can to still at least keep the routine the same. So it might be after dinner, you're you're doing showers or baths. And then I'll, I'll give you an example of my my kids routine. So we, we try to keep it the same every night, weekend and weekday, even when we're on vacation as well, as much as we can. Not doing much vacationing right now, but <laughs> so um, we we do dinner and then we'll go upstairs and we'll we'll do the showers or the baths. Uh, after that point, I usually try to stick in the cleanup time <laughs> right in there because yeah. that's preceding mm-hmm. uh, immediately preceding their most prized activity of the day, which is as you guys probably know from previous episodes, the show, the evening show. And so they will pretty much do anything that I ask uh, <laughs> when it's getting right yeah. up to go to that show. They watch their show, then they go and they um, both read their books and then I read to them. And then lately we've been having kind of this elaborate story time where they want me to make up a story. And so I I feel like I could probably write like 50 children's books right now. Just all these little stories that I've made up. Um, then we'll like, you know, do some snuggle time or we'll talk a little bit about the day and then that is it. So that's our evening routine. Um, and I think having that that routine really sets the stage. They're getting prepared. A lot of times parents will talk about maybe one partner in the home is coming home late or something. And that's the time when they want to rough house and tickle and be loud. And that's tough. <laughs> that's tough because yeah. that can mm-hmm. really rev, rev them up. So if that does happen, that's real life, you know, but maybe that goes earlier in the routine so that you can start to really wind down. Uh, for older kids, having a visual visual clock, having some sort of representation of what time it is and have those expectations that, okay, bedtime is at such and such time. We're getting closer. We're counting down so that the kids can, uh, you can manage their expectations. Um, another thing too is just have what we call kind of quote unquote a security blanket. doesn't have to be a blanket specifically, but it might be a nightlight. It might be the stuffed animals, something for comfort um, so that they yeah, can for stuffed animals yeah <laughs> why Remember not I tell the story about fishy and then it was also robot and then big blankie and little blankie oh that's right <laughs> i do remember that one <laughs> yes your your little one is quite clever mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um Having a consistent response to the refusals to go to bed. This is probably, I would say, my biggest tip for mm-hmm. this one. Yeah. Um, and this goes back to what we talk about all the time, which is the slot machine effect, right? If you are saying, okay, fine, you know, you could stay up. Okay, fine. Or I'm too tired or I have too many things going on. Fine. Just just don't go to bed. Don't stay up. Um, that's going to really reinforce that not mm-hmm. going bed, not going to bed behavior. So you want to try as much as you can to really have a set response every single time. Have that same response. It might be that you're walking them back into their room, tucking them back in, um, and really be very specific. So obviously, if you don't mind that your kids are up and walking around, you might not be even listening to this podcast. But if it is something <laughs> that is, is frustrating you or um, you really want to get a handle on, this is something that I think you should focus on more than anything else. Is have that set response. Don't give in. Don't uh, succumb to that slot machine effect. A mm-hmm. um, couple other things too. Have some alternatives to sleep if your child's aren't, or your child is not tired yet. So maybe they are allowed to play in their room, but they have to stay in their room. Um, for some of our older kids, using some sort of positive reinforcement for, for staying in their room. Maybe they're not going to bed, but they're not leaving. And then in the morning, maybe they get some sort of positive reinforcement. I always like to use the example of your favorite breakfast cereal. Like, oh, awesome. You stayed in your room all night. 
Um, you didn't come out looking for looking for us around the house. Um, you get to choose that extra special exclusive. Des- mm-hmm. uh, I almost said dessert because, you know, breakfast cereal sometimes. It's if kind they, of like a dessert. Yeah, the ones that they pick probably. Yeah. <laughs> if I let my kids pick that, they would mm-hmm. definitely pick the desserty ones. Yes. Um, so have some sort of reinforcer um, and you can always refer back to our positive reinforcement webinar. We've got all sorts of examples there of different ways you can get creative. Um, one other one too, and we'll talk a little bit more about systematic stuff later, but systematically fading yourself out of the room, um, it might be that your child doesn't want to go to bed, won't, doesn't want you to leave. And so maybe you're uh, sitting on their bed and then after a little while you're sitting in a chair by their bed and eventually you've moved the chair a little bit further away and further away you can also do that systematically by decreasing the amount of time that you stay in their room as well um one last little thing that i'll mention sleep tickets this is really cool i like this example you can actually give your child tickets or sometimes um i've suggested that you make you know when you uh, are selling something and i think i mentioned this maybe in the last podcast but you're or maybe on a webinar but you uh, are selling something in college and you put up that piece of paper oh, little and yeah you pull the little tag yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so you've got something like that and it gives them like three chances for example so those are tickets mm-hmm. to get out of your room and maybe you just start with three so they peel that off they can give it to you and then you can say, hey, okay, great. You used your ticket. Oh, you need to drink of water. Okay, great. Um, and if they run out, that's it. And maybe if they don't use all three or they use only three and they don't come out again, maybe they earn a special reinforcer in the morning for following that protocol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great to just tie it all together. Yeah, those are awesome. Um, yeah. So I can't remember if I had mentioned this on a podcast or not, but so I, we have had our fair share of sleep concerns in this house. <laughs> and it, it was probably about a year ago now, honestly, that I actually called Angie in like a fit of panic one night. And thankfully, she is three hours behind me. Otherwise, <laughs> it would have been really late for her. Um, but uh, so I was having trouble this exact problem with Parker, my oldest, he all of a sudden at about three and a half, all of a sudden he decided, or it was two and a half, maybe he decided I'm going to scream bloody murder the second that you leave my room. So he was laying down fine. He was doing great. And then it was about three nights in a row. Every time I would leave, he would have this huge tantrum. And the first couple of nights I was like, oh my goodness, like what's going on? Are you hurt? Like what's happening? And I quickly realized that he just wanted my attention. He wanted me to come back in. So uh, I talked with Angie about it. She talked me off the ledge. Uh, of course I, I had good ideas, but it's like, it's so much harder when you're, it's, you're the parent. Oh yeah. <laughs> when it's your child. So it was so nice to talk with you about it. And you gave me some really good ideas ideas. And one thing that I did was very similar to the the systematic fading, but I did where I said, okay, it's time for bed. You're safe. You have your blankie, your, your fishy, your robot, your little blankie, <laughs> you know, all blankie. of those things. Yeah. You've got everything. And I'm going to go for, for just 10 seconds and then I'll be right back. And if you're quiet and not screaming and you're sitting in your bed nicely, I'll come back in and I'll lay down with you for a few minutes. Or I think I said like for a minute. And so it worked. I, I left and I came right back in. I stood outside the door 
and I counted honestly like seven. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my goodness, he's not screaming. So I went in and I made sure to give him all sorts of praise. And then I was able to really fade myself from there, but it worked perfectly. Um, and I also paired it with a treat in the morning, which mm-hmm. worked out really well. So I said, okay, if you can lay down in your bed and not scream for me, I will come back in and I'll lay with you. And also you can have a special treat in the morning when you get up. So it took a little fading there to get myself to where I could just say, okay, lay down and I'll come check on you. And, and I did. And every time I checked on him, then he was sleeping. So it it was really helpful and definitely calmed me down a little bit, (laughs) that phone call. And then seeing that it was successful was, was even better. So good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's a good example. It's, it's a good example of when we sometimes have to add in some extra special little protocol sometimes mm-hmm. during our parenting careers. Right. Um, yep. But, you know, when you give it a good try and you're consistent, those things usually end up working out. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Yep. Cool. Exactly. Consistency. It's yeah. Key. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. the hard one. But yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's let's move on to our second one here. So waking up in the middle of the night. <laughs> so dun, dun, dun. a lot of parents are probably over there nodding their heads. Yes, 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 me, me. Uh, so really what this looks like is screaming for you in the middle of the night, crying, throwing things in their room, really doing anything that they can do to get you to come in their room. Or you might have a child who gets out of bed and comes into your room. Uh, we have both. We our, our little guy, he, he has recently decided he's coming into our room, which is new. Uh, so So all parents go through it. This is super common. Night wakings are very common. Of course, they're not fun for us, but it's it's a really common behavior in young children. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, just a little disclaimer. So uh, if you you co-sleep with your child, let's say your child comes in your room and you're okay with your child coming into your bed and spending the rest of the night, that's totally fine. We don't sway one way or the other on co-sleeping. But for those parents who want their child in their own bed or maybe not in their room, this is going to be for you. These strategies are going to be for you. All right. So getting into some some things you can do if your child is waking up in the middle of the night. So the first one here is, is really important. So choose a plan. What are you going to do and stick with it? So again, talking about that consistency. So for example, if your child is coming into your room in the middle of the night, develop a plan, like something like, okay, I'm going to lead my child back to their room. I'm not going to be very excitable at that time. I'm just going to prompt them to lay back down. I like to tell parents to have a few reminders that you usually say. For us, what I say is, (laughs) back to the blankies, but I usually (laughs) say something like, you have your blankies, you have your nightlight, and I'm just down the hall. So making him feel secure, he knows, okay, mom needs business. She's going to put me back in my bed every time. Mm -hmm. And, And really just making sure to pick something that you can do and be consistent with it. And the same thing, really, if they're screaming for you. So if your child is yelling for you, the same thing. So you, well, what's most important here, too, is to, is to discriminate between those screams. That's also a, a pretty important piece here. Mm-hmm. So if your child is yelling and you think, okay, they're probably going to just be able to soothe themselves back to sleep, maybe don't go in the room. But as parents, we know, our, we listen to our gut. And if you're like, okay, that was a nightmare. My child might be having some sort of nightmare. Maybe they're hurt. I'm definitely going to go in. I'm going to assess the situation. And then again, you can use the same three reminders. Like you're safe. Here's your nightlight. I'm going to be just next door. 
So really just picking a plan, sticking to it. And then I think the third part that really goes with this one is make sure that you're not very fun. (laughs) Reduce your fun factor. This is Mm -hmm. so important. So I'll tell a funny story. So we... So my husband and I, when when we just had our first, he was, I guess he was probably somewhere between 10, 10 months old, close to a year. And he started waking up in the middle of the night. It was usually around like 1230. I guess we hadn't gone to bed yet, which was also kind of strange when, you think, when I'm thinking back to it. But so he would wake up and my husband would get so excited and he would go and get him and he'd bring him into our bed and we would sit there and we would play and like giggle and just like mess with him for at least 30 minutes. And we were like, this is the time of our lives. This is so great. And then we quickly realized that if you want to sleep train your child or you want your child to sleep all night, then you can't get them up in the middle of the night and play with them. (laughs) (laughs) When I heard you talk about this, like one other time when you shared that with me, I was uh, I was like, wow, I during that time, I was like, you need to go to bed and and I will see you tomorrow. (laughs) Right. I need sleep. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I think it was I think for us, it was because he was such a difficult baby to, to sleep in general. He never slept. He just, he hated sleep in general. And so he finally started sleeping. And I think we felt like some sort of loss. Like, wait, where'd you go? I just spent four hours away from you. So <laughs> I don't recommend that strategy. Um, <laughs> all right. So a few other things here. So If your little one's waking up in the middle of the night, uh, you could consider taking turns also. So if if uh, you've developed that plan, stick with it. And if someone else is in the house, they could take turns with you. And what's most important there is make sure you're doing the same procedure. So both parents are making sure to do the same thing if you're taking turns on those night wakings. And then a couple ways to reduce those night wakings, you could make sure that your child has gone to the bathroom before bed, make sure they're not drinking too much before they're going to bed. Maybe they have to pee and that's waking them up in the middle of the night. Also, if they're too hot or too cold or if there's specific noises that they might be hearing, those are great things to assess if they seem to be waking up at the same time every night. Yeah, I don't know if I ever told you, but I there is a parent that I consult with and she lives in a very northerly cold place in the world and um her daughter her actually no her son was waking up every night and I was when I was kind Hmm. of going through an assessment asking the crush the various questions I asked what time is he waking up is he waking up around the same time every night and she said huh actually yeah it's almost exactly the same time at 2.30 a.m. And I said, is there anything that's going on at 2.30 a.m. possibly? I know it's kind of a very, you know. <laughs> Random time. <laughs> yeah, very quiet time of the night. And she figured out uh, that it was the time that their heater was kicking on. Because, ah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. and the heater was waking him up. And so we were able to pretty easily identify the kind of, I guess, stimulus that was causing the night wakings and be able to work with that. So, so yeah, it's something that we may not necessarily think of first off. We might think it's something like a pattern or or our kids, but Mm -hmm. it might actually be some sort of external environmental factor that we can, um, we can assess. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, that's a, a great point. Yeah. And that's great that you figured it out. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. Uh, Yeah. So 
I guess I, I like to give a, you know, if all else fails <laughs> tip here. So if you have tried it all, you've tried all these things and your child is just still coming into your room there, maybe they, they really do need you for a sense of security for some reason. And they, they really just keep coming in. You've tried it all. You could consider introducing a toddler bed in your room. So maybe you don't want them in your bed, but you could put a small bed beside your bed so they could just come in, lay down, feel secure. And, and the sleep is somewhat uninterrupted for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the same thing goes the opposite. So if your child is calling you into, into their room 15 times a night uh, and, and you feel like you're just going in constantly, you haven't really been able to troubleshoot, you could consider doing the same thing. Maybe laying down in in another bed, maybe not your child's bed, but laying down in another bed in, in that room as well. I actually talk with a lot of families who oddly have a like a queen bed in in their toddler's room like that has a crib and we actually have the same setup here which is kind of unique I guess not so odd (laughs) yeah I guess it's not that odd so if you if there's another bed in the room or you could lay down there for a little bit and then you could fade yourself back out of the room yeah yeah the I guess the idea is make it easier to fade out when you're not in their own right not in their bed Mm -hmm. easier to escape right (laughs) exactly cool um all right so let's finish up this segment and talk a little bit about waking up too early and then we'll move on to Mm. our eating and Mm -hmm. feeding issues so waking up too early so let's say you've you know you kind of mastered the going to bed and your kids sleeping through the night but boop they're waking up at five o'clock and maybe (laughs) that's not the time you want to wake up so what do we do so a couple things some of you may have heard of the various clocks that are out there on the market some of them are really really good those okay to wake up clocks never too young to to start something like that mm-hmm. uh, basically the way it works is you program the time that you want it to uh, illuminate with the color uh, i guess the light that signals waking up so we had one for a long time and it was green and it would turn green and it, it's not really disruptive, especially if you put it on the other side of the room. It doesn't usually wake them up. And um, when they wake up, if they see it's green, then that is their kind of green light to get out of the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually just got one of these for our youngest, our daughter. She nice. just turned two. We just got one for her. She's our early riser. <laughs> and I have a funny story about that to share, but I'll save it to, for the end. But um, yeah, we just got one of those. And, and so far, it's been pretty good. <laughs> okay, well, now, I, now yeah, I'm curious. I'll save now it I for wanna... later. Okay. <laughs> um, well, so with that is, let's say they wake up and the light hasn't gone off yet. Um, We always like using visual supports and different cues for behavior, right? So let's say the green light is the, yeah, it's essentially the green light to say, okay, you may pass through your doorway, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But if the green light hasn't gone off yet, but they wake up and they're, you know, you can encourage your child to go back to sleep. But if they're not, these are the two things, and I'll just say as a general side note for both these concepts, eating and sleeping, I think the reasons why they're so stressful and frustrating for parents is because you cannot control when your kid mm-hmm. physically falls asleep and when your child right. if your child actually ingests food those are two things that you are very hard to just completely control externally right those are kind of right um yep. yeah like physiological things so mm-hmm. um right so you if they're not going to go back to sleep they're not going to go back to sleep and and you can you can help to facilitate that as much as you want but at the end of the day they're kind of in control of that so maybe putting a basket in their room of toys or you can uh help them prep the night before and say if you wake up and your clock hasn't turned green yet here are a lot of things that you can do so you're really setting up the opportunity for them to be successful um by 
kind of working with that protocol that you put in place. Um, and then be mindful of the things that you are rewarding or reinforcing, right? So if they do come out before the green light and you allow them, then that's, it's just probably mm-hmm. not going to be an effective strategy for you. So if you really want it to work, you want to s- stay consistent with that. And if it's not green yet, like Kristen said, you might want to have to just walk them back, have your set routine. If they come out in the middle of the night, same thing in the morning. And you might want to pay attention to reinforcing the, like if let's say they're screaming for you, not letting them come out if they're screaming for you. But if they're playing nicely, you know, that's a different mm-hmm. story, right? right? Maybe you don't have an okay to wake up clock and maybe you're just not wanting to reinforce that mommy in the, or, you know, in the middle <laughs> of the night right. so, or in the early morning. So you say, look, I'm going to come get you when you're, when I see that you're playing nicely and not screaming for me. So, mm-hmm. um, and then the last thing too, just some environmental factors. Again, if you don't have them, maybe blackout blinds. When we moved to the house that we're in right now, uh, Rosie was a newborn and Lily was t- almost two. And um, they, we had little shutters and they were, they were nice, but they didn't block out all the light. And so mm-hmm. we had to go. That was like the first thing that I did when I, we literally had got here. We were unloading things and I was thinking, there, we have to do naps. I need to go to the store like right now and get blackout blinds. That was the, literally yeah. the first thing I did when we moved in and got those. And that was a game changer for us. It really is. And funny story on that. So we have, my husband likes to say that I keep everything. And I, I mean, maybe I do, but uh, he wants to get rid of a lot of stuff. And so he actually had some blackout blinds like in his hands and he was like some curtains. And he was like, do we need these? Can we get rid of these? And I was like, no, don't ever get rid of the blackout curtains. We just store them. We will use them again. Yeah, it's a lifesaver. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're important. Okay, so that rounds out sleeping. So let's switch gears a little bit and we'll talk about eating. So uh, the first one here. So what if your child has a, a lack of variety of foods? This is really common. Again, I feel like I'm I'm a broken record, but again, this is really common. And uh, lots of kids choose maybe a few foods they really like, and then they aren't so willing to try those other foods. So we can talk a little bit about some ways that you can add in some variety for your kiddos. So the first one here, uh, visual supports. I think you all know by now I'm I'm a huge fan of visual supports. So there's, I know, so there's lots of ways that you can do this. A couple of my favorites are using a a bingo chart for your child and you could write in certain foods like carrot is in one box and then uh, meatballs in another box or whatever it might be. Another one, and then of course, once they fill out, they have that food, they can color in that square. And then when they get bingo or they fill their card, then they could get a certain prize. And another really fun one is using the food pyramid. So you can use that as a bingo chart and it helps teach food groups. So that could be for your older kids really saying, okay, you know, what have you had in this food group today? Maybe writing in some things that they could write out ahead of time. Okay, I'm going to have these things for my, you know, my meals for the week or for the day. Along with that, I guess it kind of goes nicely, create a list of foods that they are willing to try. So go through some things and say, okay, we're gonna try two new vegetables this week. Are you willing to try carrots and maybe cucumber? Can those be the two that we put on our list? So you could consider using something like that. 
Yeah, I actually I've worked with a lot of occupational therapists and uh, mm-hmm. in my career and they they have some this is an area where they can really specialize and oh definitely yeah some of them have taught me some things like using a red green and yellow chart so putting mm-hmm. help having your child help you list or categorize foods that they absolutely do not want to try or do not like and then yellow foods might be foods that they're like, oh, okay, I don't know, maybe neutral. And then green foods are the ones that they do like. And so um, when you're doing yeah, your great. meal planning, yeah, you, you, you know, okay, these ones are safe foods. Maybe I'll try something from the neutral and maybe we'll try one thing from the red here and there. So, and then remember too, the goal isn't, one thing that I've learned too, just from talking with parents, my, my opinion is the goal isn't necessarily to have your child love all these foods, right? The goal is to mm-hmm. expand the food repertoire, right? right so right. it's that uh, I've ca- I talked to a lot of parents that say, well, you know, that I haven't found their favorites and uh, I really want them to like it. And that's, you know, that's not really in our control. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's Again, really, right. yeah, yeah. I can't control it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not about, you know, finding, uh, making them love the food. It's about expanding their ability to, or getting them to expand their the repertoire so that they'll eat more of a variety and hopefully that will include more healthy things. <laughs> right. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so along with that, you could do something like family style dinner. So you put your you put the food out and you say, "Okay, here's here's our dinner for this evening and maybe your child has to serve themselves." And so they put on the food that they are going to eat. So if you pick one carrot out of the out of the bowl and you put it on your plate, then you're going to eat it. And but maybe they have to choose from every single dish. So uh, so you're not constantly making different things for different children. You could have your set, up, set meals there and then say, okay, you've got to choose something from that. So I think what's really important here too, just kind of along with that is pick a plan and, and stick to it. <laughs> Same thing as before. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to introduce new foods to your child, pick a plan um, and, and continue along with that rule. So if your rule is you've got to take a small bite of it, then that's the rule. And and that is maybe your child could then get that reward or that uh, that dessert if they take that bite of that food. So I think just really choose that plan and then mm-hmm. and then stick to it. So so yeah, along with that is is kind of using a really common strategy which is first then. So you would say something like that. You know, first have a bite of your carrot, then you can have your chicken nugget or first uh, have two bites of your carrot and then you can have your dessert or something like mm-hmm. that. So you can play around with that a little bit, but using that strategy is really helpful for kids. Yeah. And then a couple of fun ones here that I that I like to tell families to do. So you could have your child go with you to the grocery store and let loose in the produce section and say, okay, you get to pick one fruit or vegetable or whatever it might be. Anything in this section, you get to pick and we're going to bring it home and then we're going to make it together. So making it exciting, letting them have some sense of control over the food that they might be getting. And it might be something new and fun that maybe you you haven't even tried. So, so yeah, you could definitely try something like that. And then I don't know if you've seen this, Angie, but um, there's a really fun taste test challenge going around. My sister actually sent it to me and it's this cute little boy and the mom gives him all of these different foods to try. Mm, and they're some of, yeah. yeah. Oh, you have? Yeah. yeah. 
some of them are outrageous. Like it was like wasabi (laughs) and the little boy tries it and then he does like a thumbs up or a thumbs down and it's so cute. So you could do something like that with your child. Say, okay, we're going to do a taste test challenge. You've got these things out on the plate and then record it and then let them watch it afterwards so Mm -hmm. they can see themselves, see their own reaction. And it could be something really fun and, and a great way to introduce some more variety. I love that. I think yeah. that one of the things that makes it a an effective intervention is is not only that video self modeling, but it's also mm-hmm. um, they're you know they're getting a chance to to try something without the pressure of it being part of their meal. You know, it's just yes. like a fun game, mm-hmm. right? So it's taking some of the pressure off. I know there's a a show um, on <laughs> circulating on so YouTube. I think it's called Kids Try. It's part of. Really I don't remember. Is that yeah, and and they're cute little kids of different ages, and they try all sorts of things. And I'm always so amazed. I thought started out ago. giving my kids right. so major variety in foods, and they ate say, everything when they were okay. really young. And um, then we just need just to tolerate a little bit. What did I do wrong? These kids are amazing. But those are always good things for kids to watch because they see, been tough. Don't the there are kids that really do. We would things, say, so. yeah, okay, it's not so scary. Just tolerate it being <laughs> yeah. okay. not your plate, but a plate near you. <laughs> cool. right? Yeah, then that's a, technology. I think you know, and we'll all, all eat it mm-hmm. later, right? Yeah, so, definitely. and then maybe oh, it's eventually right, so on her plate. Our next but she category is sensory. Oh, so we have a lot yeah. of families. You know? Closer and closer and closer. Uh, Eventually, um, maybe she just has to kiss it, uh, right? Or she just has to lick a small little piece of it, right? And we're not wasting food here. We're just, you know, give her a little piece, right? So she just licks it or something. And then eventually it's a small lit nibble, et cetera. Of course, we'll use integrated positive reinforcement in there too to to reward that behavior. So a a systematic approach could be one strategy. You could also use that red, yellow, green strategy that we just talked about. Um, certainly the first then strategy, right? So we're starting to mm-hmm, recycle yeah. some of the things that we've already talked about, which can be effective for this scenario as well. Um, you can also work on sensory sensitivities and, and different challenges in other ways too. So we have a lot of families that do exercises and this again, in conjunction oftentimes with occupational therapists. So shaving cream or having a bit mm-hmm. of beads, right? So you're working on tolerating different uh, sensory uh, kind of sensations and, and just kind of making it a, a program, not just during eating time, but other times too. And yeah, uh, yeah. I was just going to say that one's so important. And it made me think of an activity. It's slightly unrelated, but I follow this person on Instagram who has all sorts of really cool sensory activities for kids. And one of them was creating mud, but you created out of food. So you used flour and cocoa powder and water, and then you have the kids pour it in, they mix it mm-hmm. up, and then it makes mud. And then and then they can take like a car or drive it through it, and then they get it all dirty, and then they do a car wash so then they can clean it. And so this would be great for a child who maybe they don't want peanut butter on their hands, or maybe they don't yeah. want to touch their food in a certain way, um, working on just getting their hands dirty and getting exposing them to things on their hands is great outside of that feeding session Mm, yeah that's a good idea I would just send my kids outside with a bucket of water and be like use your real mud (laughs) yeah go find some mud (laughs) yeah Yeah. um and then the other thing too is environmental hacks maybe I have a lot of families that have kids um who don't like the smells of the food you know the food mm-hmm. you might be making might have a really delicious aroma to certain family members and to other family members, maybe not. So, right. um, you know, whether it's opening your windows and your doors, using fans, using that 
uh, above range fan above your you know cooking range um that that's there for a reason i, I it wasn't that long ago that i discovered what that was for actually <laughs> i can tell my uh, the extent of my cooking uh, abilities i never um, turned mine on <laughs> i don't either i learned actually you could turn it on if you're cutting onions i'm really sensitive oh. to that and i love guacamole yeah. so i'm cutting up the red onions or the, the purple onions and um i heard if you're cutting under there yeah it kind of helps suck all the that's stuff out that's genius i was actually cutting onions and of course crying because who doesn't <laughs> cry cutting onions and and parker actually walked up to me one time and he said are you cutting the thing that makes you cry <laughs> and he knew and i was like man this must be like a common thing that i'm always cutting onions when he walks into the kitchen <laughs> or i'm just really sad when i'm cooking i don't know yeah. <laughs> one of the two <laughs> I'm not no, a good I'm always just cooking again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, um, and then other things too. You could allow them to be excused from the table maybe at a certain time. I'm thinking of one family in particular, the child is really sensitive to the smell of, of foods. And so maybe it's, um, t- working on tolerating just a certain amount of time at the table. So he eats a certain amount and then maybe he has a separate little table off to the side. So it's not so close and right up mm-hmm. next to all the yeah. food. He's still there. Um, and so maybe you're just having a timer there and work on the duration at which he has to stay. Um, and a lot of this stuff has to do with slow, systematic, increasing tolerance. So when your child has sensory issues, it's not going to be a quick fix. There's no magic wand for this. It, it does mm-hmm. sometimes take some time. So just, I guess, we're permissioning you to to take your time and to not, not worry that it's not going to change over or that it's not changing right. overnight. This can be a, a little bit longer of a road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's really important. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we've reached the third one for eating. So another common one. <laughs> so running away from the table. This one is huge. So important. We talk with so many families who say, ah, oh, I just, I can't get him to sit and eat dinner. It's, he takes a bite, he runs away. He takes a bite, he runs away. So um, really common in our little ones, of course. So first and foremost, I, I want to preface this with saying, keep them in a high chair as long as you can. <laughs> so <laughs> Some kids are just the expectation for them to sit at a table without any sort of, you know, any anything, any restraint, I guess, at, at maybe one year old. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of distraction there. There's going to be a lot of cool stuff they want to get up and run to. And maybe they're just not developmentally ready to mm-hmm. sit there for that long of a time. So use the high chair for for that reason and, and keep them in it as long as you can. We kept our oldest in a high chair uh, maybe too long, honestly, but he was the first. So he just had no idea. And then, of course, when the second one comes along, she sees big brothers not in a high chair. So she she jumped out of that thing real quick. Um, <laughs> definitely like around here. She was like, okay, I'm going to go to the table now. So yeah, just, you, you can definitely, but try to keep them in it as long as you can. Um, so along with that, I, I think it's really important to manage your expectations. So think about what is your goal? How long do you want your child to be sitting at the table? And equally important, talk with your child about the goal. So, okay, we would like for you to sit here for five minutes of dinner time, and that's the expectation. Can you do that? Yes, okay, let's work together to get there. So, well, you all could probably guess the next one that I'm gonna say. (laughs) Angie, can you guess what I'm gonna say to include? Visual supports. Yes, visual (laughs) support. So, of course, add in 
visual supports <laughs> to help you out through this. So some things you can use, you could use a timer. So let's say you said to your child, okay, the expectation is five minutes. Let's set a timer for five minutes. They make really cool timers that you can show your child the time counting down. Those are really great. You could use that. They can see, okay, I've, this is what five minutes looks like. Mm-hmm. You could also use a token board. So this is where you could have your child earn tokens or pennies or stars on their board or even on a piece of paper. You could just put X's in a box to make it really easy for yourself. But the idea is, okay, you get a little X in that box for every minute that you sit. When you sit for five minutes, essentially you're getting five boxes, you're filling your board, then you get a break. And the break could be maybe some time away from the table. You could have your child have some time away from the table and then maybe they've got to come back and finish food or maybe they're they're all done. So you, of course, would set the expectation with your child on what it's going to be by setting those clear boundaries and expectations to start out. I like that, actually, because I think it's a good reminder that telling time doesn't happen until you're in elementary school for most kids. Mm -hmm. Right. So if we're talking about a a three year old, a four year old, even a five year old, um, they don't know what five minutes is, right? They don't have that Mm -hmm. concept yet. And so we should make sure that we're up to date on what's developmentally appropriate for kids. Um, And so having that visual representation, you know, saying five more minutes, that that's not going to mean something to a three-year-old or Mm four-year-old. So having that visual is going to get your point across. And that's also a good teaching opportunity too, right? Just to to start teaching about the concept of time when you're using those visuals too. Yeah, absolutely. Like what's the difference between five minutes and one hour? There's a big difference. So you you can't teach that too young. So that's perfect. Yeah, definitely working on that. Um, Also really important is to work on sitting. So the behavior of sitting at that table outside of dinner time. So do fun things at that same table in the same spot where they eat dinner. So you could do all their fun activities right there. And then they can practice sitting in that spot using that same timer, maybe using that same token board, but you are practicing with something fun versus something that might be aversive, like sitting there eating dinner. So just another strategy there to try out. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, oh, and then definitely, I don't want to forget this one. So making sure that you add in a replacement behavior. This one's really important. So if you've got the kiddo like mine, who typically will stand up and just run off, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. see if you can add in some sort of behavior that's more appropriate. So something like saying, if you have an older child, maybe they could say, may I be excused? Maybe your child could ask for a break. Maybe your child could sign break. Maybe they could hand you a break picture card. So something that they can do to let you know that they would like to get away from the table. So let's have them do that. And then once they do that, sure, we'll grant that. And then again, you could use a timer and say, sure, you can have a break for five minutes, but then you've got to come back and maybe have a couple more bites of food. But definitely a way that you can have them doing something a little more appropriate than just getting up and running off. Mm hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And last one, I guess another if all else fails. (laughs) So if all else fails, if you've tried all these things and you're still really having a difficult time with your child sitting at the table and it's really important to you for your child to be with you all during mealtimes, you could consider adding in something else as a distractor. So maybe it's a toy, a special toy they like to bring to the table they could hold. Maybe it's a tablet or an iPad they like to play with or watch. That's okay 
because what you could do is you could have it at the table and then you could use that iPad or tablet as a reward. So take one bite of your food and then we'll push play. So something like that. Or you could say something like, eat half of your food, then I'll give you your tablet. Mm -hmm. So you could start to use that as a reward and integrate it into mealtime. And of course, you can fade it out uh, as needed, but you could definitely start out strong there and, and allow them to have it for maybe just eating their food. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah, I know yeah. a lot of families that are in that kind of intermediate stage right. where they're saying our kids are at the table, but we need to distract them with something. So I like that idea of mm-hmm. saying, okay, that's kind of like an intermediate solution. That's not the ideal for most families. Most families want to kind of get that away. So starting right. to use that tablet more as a reward for let's do, you know, take a couple bites mm-hmm. or stay here for a little bit, then you can get it. And then eventually it's like, okay, you'll get it when you're done with your dinner or something. Right, exactly. Not so at systematic. the table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yep, That's absolutely. Great. Yeah. All right, well, we've we've reached the end here. Should we do, yeah. I guess we should do a recap, huh? There's a lot yeah, of, let's just do, stuff. yeah, we'll do a quick, I know this is a lot of content today, but yeah. let's do, we'll do a quick recap. Yeah, okay, so going back to the beginning, talking about sleep, I talked a little bit about not going to bed when Right. So some of the things we talked about having that routine, having that visual clock, having some sort of security blanket of kind of any kind, Mm -hmm. having a set response for when your kids are refusing to go to bed. Keep that consistent. Um, Alternatives to sleep if they're not tired. Right. Reinforcement for staying in the room, maybe systematically fading yourself out over time using those and uh, using those sleep tickets. Mm -hmm. Definitely. All so important. Yeah. So for waking up in the middle of the night, uh, really first one, make a plan, stick to it. Consider having multiple parents engage in that plan, but make sure they're doing the same thing. Assess the situation before bedtime. So why are they getting up? Is there a certain noise? Do they need to go potty? Did they have too much water? So cutting down on some of those things beforehand. And, um, and if all else fails, I guess you could try out some of those other procedures like a toddler bed or mm-hmm. staying in their room and then fading yourself out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, waking up too early. So trying some of those, some of the technology, right? Those okay to wake mm-hmm. up clocks, put a play basket in their room or kind of talk about what they can play the night before uh, until uh, a parent or caregiver comes to get them. Paying attention to what you're rewarding. So maybe not going in there when they're screaming for you, but instead going in when they're playing nicely. And don't forget some of those environmental things like blackout blinds and ways mm-hmm. to reduce um, some distractors. Maybe I didn't mention this earlier, but maybe like a noise machine or something oh, like that yeah, just to block out the tr- morning traffic, people going to work and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, those are so important. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. So moving on to eating. So lack of variety. So ways to incorporate some more variety for your children. You could use things like visual supports. <laughs> use a bingo chart or a food pyramid. Uh, you could create a list of foods maybe that they're willing to try. You could use the red, yellow, and green method. You could have all the food out on the table, allow them to choose something from each and they've got to eat that. Using first then, you could have them pick out some new foods and then you guys could come home and cook it together or even make it more exciting and fun. So doing something like a taste test challenge. Yeah, definitely. Sensory. So if there are sensory sensitivities, using that systematic approach. So tolerating it just, you know, far away from them, not even on their Mm -hmm. plate, on their plate, closer, 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 systematically, eventually to the point that they're actually uh, ingesting it. Uh, Next up, using that red, yellow, green procedure that we just talked about. 
uh, positively and reinforcing them for trying new things, maybe use that, using that pre-MAC principle that Kristen talked about, that first then procedure, uh, working on some sensory challenges in other ways, right? So mm-hmm. tolerating things like shaving cream and bins of beans and rice. And then lastly, using environmental hacks. So opening the windows and the doors, using fans, um, maybe even cooking outside or eating outside or allowing your child to be excused after a certain amount of time at the table. Yeah, definitely. And then last but not least, so running away from the table. So consider thinking about what your expectations are, making sure that they're age appropriate. So if your child is still at that high chair age, maybe keep them in it. If they are just graduating from high chair age, maybe consider what your expectations should be for the amount of time that they can sit and talk to them about it. You could definitely incorporate a timer or a token board into that sitting and definitely work on sitting at the table outside of dinner time, really important. And of course, have your child request a a way, a way to get away from the table, like asking for a break or uh, saying, may I be excused instead of just getting up and running away. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, I guess we should just take last maybe two minutes or so, or just a couple minutes to talk about our real talk with real mom segment. Yeah. What do you think? Do you want to hear my funny story now? I want to hear Okay, yeah. I'll make it short. I hear it. So, okay, so we recently got an okay. Well, it's actually not the okay to wait clock. It's a different one, um, but it has, it's the same concept. They make all sorts of good ones. So I let. We're not endorsing any clocks, by the way. Yes, no, just <laughs> any clock, any clock that lights up, good to go. So we, I actually let her pick it out. So on Amazon, I was like, here, just pick one you like. So I let her pick out the clock and, um, she was really excited about it. She just turned two. I thought, oh, I don't know if she's going to get this, but she is an early riser. So we were like, ooh, we're just going to start this now. So speeding up to a couple nights ago, um, she's getting really good at it. So she, we named it Umi because her favorite show is Umi Zumi. So we named the clock Umi. <laughs> so she's getting really excited about waking up and, and it's turning green. So a couple, the first two mornings, she was like, Umi green. And I was like, yeah, Umi's green. Right. Great. Let's get up. And she slept like 30 minutes longer than she normally does. And I was like, okay, this has, I don't know what's going on here, but I'll take it. So then the first few nights she actually slept longer. She woke up, it was green and it was awesome. And I was like, okay, this is great. Mm-hmm. Well then la- yesterday mornings, so not this morning, yesterday, she woke up and Angie had described earlier that the clock turns yellow and then green. So She's screaming. It's like 6.45. So I set it for 7, which is, I guess, maybe maybe late. I mean, whatever. But 7 o'clock was <laughs> That's our, ambitious our, in our what house. we set it for. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you're going to sleep till 7. <laughs> so we set it for 7. It was 6.45. She was yelling, mommy, mommy, you know, umi green, umi green. And I'm like, umi's not, I know umi's not green. So I go in and I was like, no, because I'm still trying to teach it to her. So I wasn't just mm-hmm. going to leave her hanging. So I go in and I was like, no, umi's not green. Umi's yellow. She's like, umi green. And I was like, oh, you know what? It's lit up. She probably thinks mm. it's green. 
Mm-hmm. She knows some colors, but she doesn't, she probably doesn't know the difference between yellow and green. So what I did was I was sitting in there and she doesn't know, obviously she's little. So I manipulated the time real quick to mm-hmm. make it be like 658. So uh-huh. then we sat there and I was like, no, it's green. It's yellow. See? And then it turned green. And I was like, look, now it's green. And so she got it. And then it was actually, <laughs> it's funny. And then this morning she was really successful. I went in and she was jumping up and down in her crib. She's still in a crib. She was <laughs> jumping up and down going, Umi green, Umi green. <laughs> and it was green. So, oh, so yeah, I'd say we're pretty successful with it, but I, I just wanted to share that funny story of maybe to That's consider, good. does my child know the difference between yellow and green? <laughs> That's actually a really important yeah, point. Room and, for and a loop. Yeah, there's, so we, you know, we work with kids that are um, struggling with various learning concepts, right? And I'm just mm-hmm. thinking two things that came to my mind when you're saying that is if your child is having a hard time grasping that concept or um, distinguishing between colors, you could show, uh, you could have two kind of cards, flashcards, like, okay, practice, yellow, 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 green, 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 so that you can teach the difference and for them to be able to distinguish. Or I'm thinking another kind of hack you could do is just say when it lights up, right? And so if it always goes yellow and then green, maybe you just manipulate the time oh, so that it turns yeah. yellow mm-hmm. at the time that's you want it to. And then, then that signals. Okay. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it's yellow or green. If it's yellow, right. that means, you, you know. Yeah, that's actually really smart. That's a good one. <laughs> I might have to do that if she keeps doing the yellow green. Thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good one. Okay. Well, I guess I'll just finish up my uh, real talk. So, oh yeah. What one of the things going back to eating? One of the things that we started doing is uh, the availability of dessert. Right. So a lot of kids, a lot of parents that we talk with have kids that eat really slowly. Right. Or they just say, oh, I'm constantly coaxing oh, them. I'm having to yes. feed them. And those are um, my children. <laughs> yeah. So one of my kids is a, a pretty hearty eater. The other one is very distractible and she'll get up and she'll, oh, oh, wait, hold on. I forgot to put my pencil in the backpack or, oh, this is my favorite song. I just half mom. I just have to dance for this one. It's OK. Right. Because and I'll just be right here out of my chair. I'll dance right there. So it's <laughs> always cute. something to get out of the chair. Mm-hmm. So what I did as I said, okay, you know what? You just need to finish your dinner by a certain amount of time. I don't care if you cram it all in in the last five minutes. It just has to be done at a certain time because din- or dessert is only available until six o'clock or mm-hmm. you, know, you can use the time frame that you want. So, right, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so I just, I gave them a little bit of control. They're a little bit older, but I just said, look, by six o'clock, if you're not done, the availability of dessert has gone away, right? So I gave them that end date or the end time and they can see on the clock too the countdown. And you, if your kids are younger, you can help them with that. You can set a, t- a timer, or Kristen, you use the example of the timer that has the red that starts to mm-hmm. kind of elapse, yeah. right? So they using visual timers, yeah. So that's something that's helpful for older kids. It's just saying that's fine, you know. But if you don't finish by this time, you're not getting dessert. So you gotta mm-hmm. you gotta meet that goal. So. That's my latest. Yeah, that's a good one. I really like that one. I might have to steal that for my oldest because I feel like he would totally grasp that concept and be like, oh, okay. All right. (laughs) Dessert. Oh, all right. I'll finish (laughs) my dinner. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. All right. All right. That's it. Yeah. Okay. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for joining us for our fifth episode of Behaviorally Speaking. Join us next month for another hot topic, screen time. So that's going to be a really good one. So until then, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. You've been listening to Behaviorally Speaking. 
with Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi, brought to you by Rethink Benefits. Find out more about Rethink at RethinkBenefits.com, where you can find past podcast episodes under the Resources tab. Don't forget to subscribe to Behaviorally Speaking on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.